Great conversations continue on this legislative session. And of course, it's time to check in with 35th District Representative Travis Couture. Travis, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am well. I am well. Man, I've been following along. You guys have had some late nights over the last couple of days. And one of the tightest votes here in the ledge happened uh, just uh, here yesterday in the last couple of hours here. This was House Bill 2001. It was uh, it's a bill to and the way I'm reading it is it changes or maybe it doesn't change it, but it gives the state Supreme Court um governor's decision power on commuting sentences for felons is that about right uh close um, okay uh, yeah essentially what it, it it's doing is kind of recalculating sentences and 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 giving uh some of that and you're exactly right some of the governor has the power to commute sentences or you know um you know pardon people right um, but this basically gives some of that power to the court when they resentence. And basically the goal of the bill is to let people out of prison early. Right. And, uh, <laughs> what it looks like here, uh, it was just barely passed, um, with some of the democratic voters going to, uh, the Republican side of the votes that garnered the most of this. So it requires department of corrections, notifying the inmate they may be eligible to ask for resentencing. Now, resentencing, is that the same as time served for good behavior? Uh, no, actually, they're, you know, <laughs> not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of depends on some various factors, but basically it allows, um, you know, the person's uh, defense attorney or whatever to go make a motion uh, in court to try to recalculate their their sentencing score their sentence right and um, part of the problem with that is like if you went to court you basically signed a contract and that contract was the sentencing right you've agreed that this is the sentence long ago and now they're kind of trying to say wait a second you know uh, we let's let's redo all this now, like years and years later. And part of the problem is like what that does to victims and their families. And I actually on the floor, I told the story of uh, the Stitt family, which is in our district. Uh, Caitlin Stitt and her brother and their their family, they live in the Skokomish Reservation. And um, there was a man, David John Lennon, who back in the 1980s murdered uh Caitlin's father, um, Terry Stitt. And last year, myself and Dan Griffey and Drew McEwen, uh, we went to bat for the Stitt family and we wrote lots of letters and we got testimony from county prosecutors and all sorts of people to um, basically stop the, uh, the, the pardons, the board, the pardon board to uh, make sure that they were trying to basically let jo David John Lennon out of prison. And uh, and we actually um, sent a lot of stuff to Jay Inslee and and that um, that was all denied. So he didn't get out of prison. So that was something we were really successful in. And and the family was very worried about being re-traumatized by the fact that their dad's killer would be set free. And so I, I read that story um, from Caitlin Stitt on the floor about her father that was murdered, Terry Stitt. And. 
asked for a no vote. Unfortunately, it passed. But because, like you mentioned, Jeff, that it was so close, I, I wonder if that bill has a, a true pathway to to the governor's desk in the Senate. You know, it talks about all the serious crimes of any kind are eligible for resentencing except for um, aggravated murder in the first degree. So it's like armed robbery, kidnapping, felony assault. If you've done 10 years over 18, then you can start asking for this. Is there it? And I, I get what you're saying. And I understand what the side is saying about the victims. But um, some of these crimes and some of the criminals they have, uh, from what I understand, re rehabilitated themselves, in, at least in the eyes of the state or the counselors. What are your thoughts on those folks who may have passed those thresholds? Yeah, I think um, uh, there was another bill that kind of dovetailed along right with this bill. Um, it was a, a, a Representative Stearns bill that also went to recalculate scores. And then last session, uh, we they basically ended the the practice of um, you know using your juveniles uh, calculations as part of your adult calculations, um, and so when you when you put these all of these things together, they actually do at times include murder and in the first and second degree and rape in the first degree. And so uh, there was a juvenile bill passed that essentially said, if you are murder one, murder two, or uh, rape in the first degree, then you could be basically tried in juvenile court up until you're 23 years old. And, and if that's the case, and they're not going to calculate your juvenile scores, you can almost just damn near get away with murder, you know? And, and, and get out of prison. And so there is actually, I don't know, a handful of bills between last year and this year that when you compile them all together, it really just equals fast-tracking people out of prison for almost nearly any crime, depending on the circumstance, right? And so, yeah, you're right. In this bill, it excluded that, but really wasn't excluded when you kind of um, compile the other bills that have been passed uh, by the legislature um, either last year or this year. And so what we're looking at is a disturbing trend. And the trend is, you know, coddling people who committed crimes, free thinking adults who victimize society in one way, shape or form. But to your point, I think had these bills maybe not went so far and it just said, hey, for, you know, like, for example, like if you committed some some pet, petty more petty crimes than murder or rape right like then uh and you went through all the rehabilitative process and now it's time for re-entry but here's the deal when you were sentenced you signed a, a contract you signed a deal and that deal was you served this amount of time for the crime that you committed and that was what society considered justice uh for the crime you committed for the victims that you victimized and so I think just kind of a 30,000 foot view, we went too far uh, to basically get, you know, get people out of prison. And I, and I am, you know, sympathetic to uh, when we do have people going from prison and they've done what they're supposed to do and they serve their time and it's time to reenter society. I have voted yes on things that will help those people. So we're not setting them up to fail. Like for example, um, I voted yes that they would have a little bit more money in the bank when they leave 
prison because if you send someone out of prison with 50 bucks and the clothes on their back, how are we really expecting them to be super successful right. as they enter society? You don't want them to recidivate. So um, I voted yes on things that help uh, do workforce training and other things, rehabilitative stuff while in prison. So that, uh, but oftentimes, Jeff, those things are not mandatory and a lot of people aren't doing them, right? And uh, for example, sex offender um, treatment, um, if you were convicted of rape, or some kind of sexual assault and you're in prison for that, there's actually nothing that says you have to take sex offender treatment if you are a registered sex offender. I mean, to me, that's kind of nuts. But um, at the same time, not everyone's taking advantage of trying to do the right thing at the end of the day, sadly. Sadly, there's still bad guys out there and they deserve to be in prison. Let's move on to another subject here. And it is a tough one in the 35th in Mason County. It is well, across the whole state and the country, really, it's rent and rental prices. It is, um, you know, you see reports where people's uh, monthly rent is more than a mortgage is, and oftentimes the rents will go up every year. Uh, what are some of the things the ledge is working on this year uh, for rental assistance for people out there? Yeah, there was actually a, a like a lot of bills in this space, um, but a lot of them did not. Um, you know, make it all the way through. And, right. uh, but the one we had the final bill before um, House of Origin cutoff um, last night was rent control. And that's the Democrat bill that uh, our party, my the Republican Party opposed. Okay. And so um, the gist of it is, is that, you know, they would basically cap rents, uh, you know, cap rents at 7%. Um, so you can only raise it so much. And one of the problems, and I've got like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails from in district saying, you know, I've, I'm a property owner. I, I bought property as, because I'm, um, as part of my retirement plan, that's my income. And, uh, when they can't, uh, raise prices to match what the market is doing, then it basically puts them out of business. And the, the big problem, and I spoke about this on the floor last night, is that, you know, I have a 17-year-old, he's about to be 18. Where can he live in Mason County? Mason County has the fifth highest per capita shortage of housing in our entire state. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of places to live and or rent. And right. so the answer to this is we need a higher supply of housing. And in order to do that, uh, we need to have incentivized housing supply and we need to get rid of the regulations that uh, really uh, disincentivize housing supply. Um, we talked about it before, Growth Management Act and so many other things in our state that hold us back. But regulations are like 25% of the cost of building a new home in Washington state. We have the fourth most expensive state for building a home and also it correlates the fourth highest homeless population in the nation. And so um, we need to do a lot more about building supply. And when you have more houses on the market, they become cheaper. The rents become cheaper, but artificially capping rents will not help people. It is a short-term solution that will have long-term devastating impacts. Uh, you have to be able to follow the marketplace. And, and here's the deal. In the last year, rents have went down in Washington, $149. Mm -hmm. 
they've went down. And but now we're still wanting to do rent control. It doesn't make any economic sense. This is not how economics work. And rent control doesn't work in any other place that it's been tried. And if we wanted to look at a place where uh, it works, there just isn't any. No one else is doing this. I mean, they're doing it in New York, but uh, that, that's not working out very well for them either. Right. And so what happens is, uh, you know, people close down their rental properties or you don't have the right properties meant for the right people. And, and then it really crushes supply because if you've capped rents, who wants to get into the rental business and buy properties and fix them up for that purpose? And so we have a lot of people, Jeff, like in Christmas Village, uh, where our where our 65, I think, and up um, are, you know, our, um, our retirees, a lot of them live in Christmas Village and Shelton. And, you know, they're facing something where a new owner is coming in um, and the prospect of um, their um, costs going up as a result of that, potentially. And and it's sad because we and I signed on to a bill um, by Representative Cheney that would have said, we're going to incentivize you to keep rents low by giving you property tax relief if you keep rents stable. That's a real solution that doesn't harm uh, housing supply, and it makes everyone better as a result. But especially after COVID, when we had the eviction stuff and the tenant landlord stuff, people moved out of our state um, to go to other states to, to buy a property to, um, to be basically be landlords and have rentals. Um, so really, there is a balance, a very tricky balance between tenants and housing suppliers. Right. And and for the last handful of years, we have went totally one way. But if you don't find the balance, you will have neither tenants or housing suppliers. And so everything about this place is how do you turn the dial just right in order to hit the right policy? But sometimes we're turning the dial way too hard and then it's messing up something over here that well-intentioned but with sometimes devastating unintended consequences. And honestly, high rents are just a symptom of the overall disease. The disease is not bad landlords just trying to be greedy. The disease is our entire economy is unaffordable. We have high inflation, high prices, gasoline at the grocery store. All of these things end up equaling high rents. The economy doesn't work in a vacuum. All prices affect each other. And so if we want to have a, uh, lower rents and lower gas and lower grocery prices, we have to make the state more affordable to live in, especially for people in rural communities where our median income is like $66,000. And if you wanted to afford a home here, uh, you have to have double that income to afford the median home price in Mason County. 83% of our families in Mason County cannot afford a home. That's bad. And what does that mean for our kids? They're not going to be able to live here unless they're really lucky. And that and that actually hurts my heart a little bit that our kids can't live in the place where we raise them. Yeah. 35th District Representative Travis Couture looking out for folks in the 35th and the state. I'm excited to hear a little bit more from you as you uh, see more of the bills come over from the Senate side as continuation of the conversation happens. Uh, well, you're on the downward schneid here, I suppose. You only got a little bit left in this short session, huh? Yeah, getting close. Getting close. Getting close to it. All right, Travis, you have a good one and we'll check in next week. 
Thanks, Jeff. See you, brother. See ya.